But I hate when I feel like this And I never hated you Neurotica is a weekly podcast going to the deepest, darkest parts of the mind and bringing them to light. Topics range on mental illness, behavior, and perception, and more. Please be warned, many episodes contain trigger warnings. If you ever have thoughts of suicide, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Hey everybody, welcome to Neurotica. Uh, Bobby and I are here in hour two of uh, part two of uh, most impactful artists of the decade for us. Are you uh, going to ask me how I'm doing? Nope. About the same? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm here with uh, Bobby McCochran. Uh, he's still the same. We just watched the Sixers lose. That's the only thing that's changed since uh, yes. last podcast, so if you want to talk about that. So we're both doing a lot worse. Yeah. No, it wasn't that bad of a game. It came down to the last shot, and we just didn't make it. You know, that's just... Sometimes that's how it rolls. Yep. Um, it's our good team. We're not that irrational as fans as we used to be, because the team actually makes sense now. Um, All right. So last time we left off at the end of our discussion about Kid Cudi. Yeah, so... Uh, so just to... Um, since you're probably listening to this about a week apart... Uh, what we're doing here is we're going through our own decade, um, our personal decades, uh, music-wise, and talking about the artists who meant the most to us throughout it. Uh, these are not necessarily the artists that we still love the most, but the artists who, at the time, uh, going through, were very, very important to us. So we uh, went from uh, Cody talking about Arcade Fire to Kid Cudi and uh, me going from talking about Gaslight Anthem to Kid Cudi. Uh, so, Cody, who do you have up next? Yeah, so I actually want to talk about who is not on my list next. Um, I want to talk about, of course, uh, Mr. Kanye West. And the reason I'm not keeping him on my list is actually different than what you probably think. Um, Kanye has had impact on me, especially uh, in this decade. Um, but then I realized... Yeah, because he's fucking Kanye. Like, it's like saying that, like, Elvis made good music. Like, okay, even if he's a shithead, we all listen to Kanye. Yeah. There's really nothing to say. I get that he didn't hit me any more special until he did Yay and Kitsy Ghost, but I'm not going to give any more patron to him. He doesn't deserve it. I did not yeah. listen to the new album. I heard one of the songs because it happened to me on one of, like, the Discovery playlist. It didn't sound very good. It's very heartbreaking to me. I will probably continue listening to Kanye until he does something that's just completely irredeemable, but I'm not going to give him any credit for anything right now. Enough ink and whatever the podcast version of ink has been spilled about Kanye West so that we don't... Yeah, dude, I totally can't wait till he comes at us. (laughs) So Um, um, I actually want to talk briefly about uh, something that I've mostly moved on from but still really enjoy, and it was a big... Uh, part of not only my life, but, you know, popular music for a couple years there, uh, which is like EDM. Oh. Did you ever get into EDM at all? Um, no, I I wasn't like necessarily against it because, you know, I'm kind of into more electronic stuff. And I have been to a, um, what is it, Bass Nectar? I've been to one of his shows. I just uh, drank a lot of beer that day, so he made me want to puke, but he was very <laughs> good to listen to. And I've listened to mashup stuff I've enjoyed, but I've never been a big EDM person of any sort. Right. 
Um, so my roommate for uh, throughout college, uh, I had three roommates. Uh, the one was really into EDM. He had a he had a buddy that was into it before it really went mainstream. He showed us what ended up becoming Levels by Avicii uh, when it was still just called like ID, and it was a two minute long thing and didn't have the Ella Fitzgerald sample and everything like that. So living with him, um. I was always hearing EDM stuff from his room and uh, I got into Calvin Harris and Armin Van Buren, um, Swedish house mafia, Swedish house mafia, all those guys. And I was never like a crazy, like go to festivals guy in part because I never had the money to afford the tickets and the Molly, uh, that I would have needed to go. But, but I, I really, I always enjoyed it. It was it was what I would listen to if I would go on a run or was at the gym or something like that. I would listen to uh, people's Avicii or Calvin Harris's electric uh, Daisy Carnival sets and stuff like that. I know people who could not um, do their homework or study without EDM music. Yeah, they, like, I trained themselves that the EDM was like somehow they got, how they got in the zone. So I always mm-hmm. kept it at a little bit of a distance because. My my last year of college, I had a different set of roommates uh, that I also loved. But with the one kid was friends with a guy who said something like, uh, I, "Like anything that's not EDM, it's just like kind of boring to me. I don't understand like what people like about it." And I was just like, "All right, and I, I would never want to be a guy like that." But being in college at the time that I was from two thousand nine to two thousand fourteen. Like that was an amazing time to be in college because EDM was an amazing soundtrack to college, and it it, it started creeping into pop music. Um, I knew you were trouble by Taylor Swift had some of that, not quite as of abrasive as dubstep, but it had those drops. Um, everyone loved to build and drop. The Harlem Shake became a whole thing. Uh, Florence Welch from Florence and the Machine, who I always loved. Uh, did a song with Calvin Harris. Um, so just even though it wasn't the main thing in my life, just the fact that I was in college at that time where EDM was becoming a thing and that brief period where it was one of the main influences in popular music was just a really cool time to be in college. And like the fact that that happened while I was in college, which puts an outside stamp on your life, means that it has an outside stamp on my life. Yeah, and I actually like um, had a friend who was really into EDM, and he was the kind of person who would like buy the fucking like panda thing, and like, <laughs> but him and his now wife, like, they went together, and they were really adorable, and they're like matching little panda suits when they were together, and it's like. You know, back then it was like, you're such a douchebag, but now it's like the cutest little photo of them, and it's like hard to even be upset at them for that. Like, yeah, it's, it's like... the music they like and what they wanted to dress up like when they went. That's one of the things from this era that is more of a snapshot of a time than anything else. Like, rap, obviously, like indie rock, punk, that generally moves forward in its own way, but... EDM is not a thing anymore. Like even Kygo and um, Zed, uh, Avicii has passed away. 
But like Kygo, Zed, those guys are like pop music producers now. They're not artists in their own right in the way that they were back then. So like in the same, in the same way that pop rap has kind of given way to trap and is, and as such that listening to it is brings you back to a certain time. EDM is the same way because it's not in itself that cultural force anymore. So it's going to be an interesting transition to my next thing, but EDM doesn't really have much for me, so I don't want to cut you off if you really have much more to say. But, um, you know, I was obviously a big fan of comedy, so my next band, you know, will be obviously one you like too as well because we went to a concert recently, Vampire Weekend, and one of the songs that I first heard of theirs um, really changed a lot for me, and that will be my deep cut and, you know, my story. But... Vampire Weekend has been there for me this entire decade. Like, everything that they've put out, I've been, like, a huge fan of. Like, I think Modern Vampires in the City is one of my favorite albums of all time, and I'm still listening the hell off the new album, too. Like, I just, like, cannot get enough of them. So to even have, like, older stuff that I really love, like, was really big for me. But um, I want to talk about them because my discovery of them is actually the funniest thing because it's really my first passion it's comedy it was an episode of snl and that's what i I vividly remember and the other song they did was cousins and i didn't even like cousins but that wasn't the first song they did the first song they did was giving up the gun and here i want to read the wiki for the saturday night live episode (laughs) for you for you to understand like what episode this is and why cody would want to watch it so bad the host is zach galifianakis that night Sure. Yeah. Um, and at this point, the um, cast is still Fred Armisen, Will Forte, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, Andy Sandberg, Jason Sudeikis, Keenan Thompson, Kristen Wiig, featuring Abby Elliott, Bobby Moynihan, Nassim Pedrad, and Jenny Slate. Nassim Pedrad! Don't forget Jenny Slate. Oh, geez. That was her one year. Yeah. Remember what happened with her? I think she said the F word. Yep. <laughs> Yep, and she knew it right away and was just like, I'm fired. Like, but that was really funny. No, but then she became a star by being really adorable when she got drunk on drunk history. Yeah. At least that's how it went for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I remember hearing that song and just it resonated with me on a different level and I didn't know what Vampire Weekend was at the time. I mean, apparently I was very like behind. I mean, they were on fucking SNL two years before, so apparently the world already knew. Um, but well, they, they're one of the most hyped, like debut rock releases of the last 20 years, probably. Yeah. Cause and, they had so much hype going into it. And it's just really interesting to me. Like when I was listening to a lot of like their old music, like, you know, like giving up the gun was like a song that was just like very beautiful to me lyrically and this, the stuff they were playing around with, with the songs. So that's my deep cut in case you're wondering for the playlist there, Bobby. Uh, we, uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode for whatever weird fucking reason, like he loved clicking on things that say part two instead of part one, um, we are keeping a running playlist of all the deep cuts we're going to, uh, speak of tonight. Um, but giving up the gun is mine, obviously, because that's the one that drew me in. But, um, the thing about Vampire Weekend, and I've read it in some interviews that really stuck with me as I'm moving into kind of my, you know, adulthood is... They were talking about modern vampire in the city and how 
it was just this like really sad album and you know like for vampire weekend for some people like they were like they were out on vampire weekend like which is kind of funny because i think it's their best album but that like, was the first album of theirs that i listened to all the way through and really liked yeah and i'm gonna say like um i think you're a contra i don't love all the songs like i can't like just listen that through but i'm enjoying them now more because i'm a bigger fan um but you know, there's a lot of like older songs that I'm getting into, but Modern Vampire in the City was the first album I was like, they didn't miss a single beat on this. This is like a perfect album for this this band, and in the anticipation of this new album, and you know, Rostam leaving and doing a lot of his own stuff. You know, people are like wondering what they're gonna follow up with, and not only did I love this album because of what they were doing musically there very clearly was a change in the message and there was a very clear message and just the people in general. And they said that that was very, you know, you know, on purpose to show where we were in our lives because we knew modern vampire in the city was so down, but now we're in this part of our lives where I want to specifically call out the song stranger. You know, things never been stranger and like, they're going to stay strange, but like I used to be a stranger and that's like, okay. It's like, it was just like kind of this like coming of age song or even, you know, album for them. And they kind of said it as like, uh, you know, we're not as angsty as we used to be. We don't want to die all the time, but we still know shit's fucked and we need to do something like, and that's like, I'm pretty sure where me and Bobby would love to be, but we're not quite there. We're still in the fucking, why don't you just hit me with your car instead? Right. You know, part of life. So first thing, uh, Lindsay Zoldaz uh, wrote an article about uh, Father of the Bride, the most recent Vampire Weekend album when she was still at The Ringer. Uh, that was partially about the an air of climate anxiety throughout the album. Uh, about how Big Blue uh, is sort of uh, an ode to the earth itself. Yeah. About how there's imagery about the waves coming up to your house or sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, like the song How Long, which is yeah. a how song long... that's supposed to be a song that is about, um, you know, how long is our relationship going to last? But it's clearly a parody on itself to be how long till California literally is in the fucking ocean. Right. So, um,. As always, read read everything that great springs in that song. Read, read everything that uh, <laughs> Lindsay's old as writes. Um, the other thing that I want to say was I was first introduced to Vampire Weekend by my best friend from high school, comes to Kitty, um, who I saw at the Vampire Weekend concert that I went to with Cody for the first time in uh, four years. Yeah, serendipity right there, and it was just like so strange that this guy that used to be like so important in my life that I had probably barely thought about in the last two years ended up being there and he was the one that introduced me to the band and he I we reconnected a little bit afterwards but it was just uh, a really interesting coincidence he was also the guy that introduced me to Wagon Wheel which I wanted to talk briefly about and forgot to in the first part of Great. the Great. That was the cliffhanger. We'll talk about that in a second cuz we're going to do Vampire Weekend. Um but. so I didn't love the first two Vampire Weekend albums when I listened to them they didn't grab me but I liked a bunch of the singles from it. Yeah. But Modern Vampires of the City and specifically Hannah Hunt which I think Pitchfork named the best song of that year. So they got that one right. Yeah. <laughs> um 
it really I was in college at the time, but always stressed out because, as I said, my grades were bad. And from then until now, I think that that song and that album address sort of a mid to late 20s malaise and stress. Yeah. Where it's like you're you're trying to find your place, but you have no idea where it is. And like, even though you probably will find it someday, the f- that doesn't comfort you. Yeah. And so that's why Hannah Hunt really struck struck me it's like a a road trip as a relationship falls apart and just the end of the song is just like a falsetto yelp of like the very end of the relationship yeah like if i can't trust you then damn it hannah there's no future there's no answer like yeah just like the dread this relationship's everything because there's just nothing else and worth it yeah and you're, you're just trying to keep it together and whether it's a relationship like that or like a even a work relationship like a a job like if if this isn't it then like what is it yeah it's like it, it's a song that you look back now and you're like that's a lot of the projection that you go through in a lot of early relationships where you're like well like what the fuck do you want me to do and it's like you're really asking yourself the question like the fuck am i supposed to do like right but and you're like you're taking out on someone else but you're really just asking yourself like what what's my life like what's the point but like i've never really had a relationship until my current one so a lot of the relationship stuff that i hear in songs is either me missing it um if they're talking about some sort of youthful relationship uh and being like god damn i wish i had that to look back on or it's something that i can't relate to but that i then project the anxiety into something else and that song like i said is it's not about the relationship necessarily to me as much as it's about hanging on like putting importance into something and seeing the something just fall apart yeah um not to uh jump backwards here but we forgot to mention the other part of the concert uh not as fun as your story uh reconnecting with a friend and your beautiful story about uh hannah hunt which is another song i love but we also did run into a friend of the podcast kathleen who's probably gonna be mad she was not invited for this episode now oh wow she definitely should have been (laughs) yeah um that well we didn't expect to go two episodes so if we invited kathleen that's like three fucking episodes if not four we're gonna keep going at this point we might go three episodes yeah i don't know i don't want to go three i got shit to do tomorrow so uh, my next the next (laughs) big thing i talk about besides briefly wagon wheel is going to be my most important person yeah, so um, I still have a few, but I, I just want to say that was really funny that um, we saw Kathleen immediately as we got there, uh, knocked a beer immediately out of her hand, so I had to buy her another one. Um, and then we met her friend um, that I actually found out we work on the same floor. So I was like, it was like, I didn't know if it was her, and I was like, do we uh, know each other? And she goes, yeah, did we meet at Vampire Weekend? Because I was like, thank God. Because <laughs> like I knew it was her. I'm not gonna say her name because she's not on the podcast. Um, but it was just like thank one of those thank God moments of like I didn't confuse this person with like somebody completely different. Like yeah. was, who the fuck are you? Like, but yeah. So we just like ran into our friend, and it was just like a, another weird connection. And it was just like a lot of weird things going on, just that happened to be revolving. And like my best friend was able to come to the concert, and I hadn't seen him in a while too. It was just like a lot of like. And you and him hadn't met at all, and it was, like, weird that you hadn't met at all, because, like... We hit it off. 
Yeah, and you guys came from like literally the same you know job that we all worked at. Yeah, becomes that fucking job. Um, but you guys like don't even look too different. You could probably just be like stunt dolls for each other. Or, like you'll be the bigger version. Sorry, he's, he's taller. Not, yeah, he's taller and a little. So you be Mario, he'll be Luigi. <laughs> yeah. So you are guys already got your costume <laughs> for the year. Uh, no, but that was just you know a great concert and it, to see one of my favorite bands and you know they really played a lot of the hits and at the end they were just like saying what songs do you guys want to hear like it was just asking yeah. people and they didn't play giving up the gun unfortunately well, well that's the thing about they were like kind of jam band they well, just haven't yeah the other thing about their new album is that it's a clear transition from that like mid to late 20s anxiety to like a still slightly anxious but like sort of steady and content 30s like and at a functional level, a, a transition into like a careerist touring rock group, uh, as opposed to a, like a meteoric, like hype beast machine yeah. as they were for the beginning of their career. And so that that's why they have the they have the longer album. Um, they have the, the songs that are a little bit less, most of them less experimental than they would have been with Rostam. And also the, the concerts long and jammy so that they can probably make a name for themselves as like a, a good long show playing touring yeah. band. So I, I do want to transition right off your Hannah Hunt to another um, person who's kind of, you know, gone through a lot of transition in his career. Um, so I'm going to say the non-douchey way first and then the douchey way. Bon Iver, Boney Bear. There you go, everybody. I don't know how to say it to anybody because i don't want to assume and then people correct me and i go okay you're that kind of person oh. but i'm fine i just always say bon Iver. yeah i might as well just say bon Iver at this point but i recently saw him in concert but i, I want to jump back a little bit just because it's very similar to your hannah hunt conversation um so in college i was listening to a lot of the head and the heart lost my mind that was very you know relevant but i remember Bony Bear, the first song I heard, it was, I think, again, off Radio 1 of 4 or 5, and that's how I heard it for the first time, and then kind of fell in love with it. Um, I believe it's pronounced Holocene. Holocene is a perfect song. It is so amazing, but what you need to understand is... Ten we bought a zoo. Great. Um, still questioning that movie a lot. How many people uh, contributed to the zoo that it became a we? It's a great movie. Anyway, I just think the one guy bought a zoo. Anyway, um... Okay. Yeah. Yes, I We'll have a We Bought a Zoo-centric <laughs> episode. Yeah, anyway, um, but... There was a point in the winter where I knew my relationship was going to end. And, um, we hadn't quite gotten there yet. But all the signs were there. And I just kind of remember walking in the, um, snow... And listening to this song and it just kind of becoming the soundtrack to my winter, funny enough, the winter before being all the, you know, like the arcade fire I was talking about in the first episode. Uh, second episode, I talk about a year later. See, I did that. That was totally planned, even though we didn't plan two episodes. Wow, <laughs> crazy. Um, no, so it was just kind of became like the soundtrack of a different winter of I knew it was going to end, and it did end up ending after our break. She came over, and, you know, we ended it. Um, but every crescendo being kind of 
the break of my heart and feeling my relationship. And I was taking a lot of walks by myself. And even though I hate the cold and it was a cold winter in Delaware, it felt only right to be outside because I just wanted to be alone and everybody else was inside and it was the only place I could just be. And I would listen to this song and I I could sometimes, and for the most part, keep the tears in surprisingly, but I was feeling everything through the, the song over and over and over again. I think I kept playing it on repeat or it would be lost in my mind from Head and Heart. And there were other Head and Heart songs, but Holocene just really always stuck with me. And I've loved all of Bon Iver since. I've loved a lot of his features and his production stuff. But that song, when I was falling apart, just kind of kept me together through music. Um, and that was just really something I needed at the time. So I really, really appreciated that song. So Bobby, could you please add that to yeah. the playlist as well? Yeah. So like I said, Holocene, uh, by Bon Iver is a, a perfect song in my opinion. Um, I, I talk a lot and, uh, a, a lot of times, uh, humorously about We Bought a Zoo, the Matt Damon movie. <laughs> Um, but it is actually a movie that I really like and I'm sure it has a really really good soundtrack. My buddy, uh, from high school who was always on like the, um, punk new, like, like the music, like boards, like message boards and shit. Yeah. Um, he was actually friend, ended up being friends on the boards with people that I became friends with on Twitter years later. He told me about Bonavere my freshman year, um, after For Emma Forever Ago had come out. Yeah. And I listened to that a bunch of times and was like, oh, this is awesome. And then when he like blew up with the self-titled album and being on Kanye's album and stuff like that, I was like, holy shit, this rocks. Also, he's not the best new artist. For Emma Forever Ago came out. What the fuck is wrong with yeah, you people? There was a little bit with me too, just being a douchebag with that. But he just... I saw him in concert too, and it, it was just amazing, like how into it he was getting. Just you know, playing at the the New Met in Philly, which I recommend for anybody who hasn't been. It's but it was like the perfect venue for him because he could kind of just like play on all of his little dumb toys and stuff that he yeah. brought, and you could tell that he just really just loved music, and he made jokes to the crowd. And he's a nice guy, but just loves music. That's the thing great. when you listen to For Emma. He's doing all of the music on there he recorded. I think he went up to like a cabin in Wisconsin after a breakup and just recorded it. Um, and he did all, I th- I'm pretty sure he did all of the instrumentation himself. And so hearing that and then hearing 22 a million and whatever the record from this year is called, it sounds like how is this the same guy? But when you know that it's, the same guy that did every instrument on the first one it also kind of makes sense that that would yeah. extrapolate when he gets more resources and like more tools to play with and the funny thing is that i want to continue talking about him just for a second is that um 22 a million ended up being my favorite album there were songs from uh for emma forever ago i didn't love um i loved a lot of the album so i was like yeah i love this guy and i you know can't wait to see what he does next Obviously, the first hit or, you know, single comes out for 22 a million and it doesn't sound anything like Bon 
<laughs> Bonnie the. Uh, but, you know, I really liked it. And then the whole album comes out and I'm like, okay, this whole thing is different, but something about it brought me back. I remember at first I didn't want to even hear it again. And then I kept going back and kept finding comfort in it, even though it was so like jarring at times. And yeah, I had the album on vinyl now and I love it. And I, I always go back and I always want to listen to it. And it's got, it's just such a beautiful project to me. And it was such a beautiful time to see, you know, some of the songs from, for Emma forever ago and then a lot of 22 and million like him doing it live and seeing the way that he's making these sounds and creating them like how much of it is him pressing a button how much of it is he actually has a thing that he goes to and does a thing like it was yeah. actually interesting and i'm i'm always gonna geek out over him so he has um, he has the rare ability to project a real warmth yeah uh, through music like 22 a million where you wouldn't think that it's glitchy and it's electronic and it's weird, but you you get the the guy who sat in a cabin after a breakup from it as well, kind of, which is a, a an incredibly rare skill. Yeah, and I remember. Um, um, sorry, you go ahead. No, I just remember a lot of the songs just be used in like pop culture in a lot of ways that I loved as well, and just being able to like share those moments because I felt like he only like the song was only played in the right scenes too. And that was always cool to me because I didn't know if it was the scene enhancing the song and the song enhancing the scene, but it was a new way to even experience the song. And the one I'm thinking of is from Legion, just because that's a show we both love and watch. Um, and it was kind of surprising me, you know, I'm watching Legion and Boney Bear 22 a million song starts it. And you're like, what? And you're like, but... But it also makes sense because Legion is kind of the same way where it is really weird and trippy and strange, but like it, there is the warmth that comes through a lot yeah. of the parts of it. Which we're not going to talk about Legion because we will need four episodes for that. <laughs> um, so right. that that's all I really had for uh, Bon Iver. So I do want to move on. Uh, Bobby, is there any particular ones you want to jump in with or you said you only had your big guy left? Well... Yeah, we have like half an hour left before we have to cut this off. Okay, so, I, so I'm going to run through some just other ones really quick and not even like talk to them to death because some of them I feel like I've already talked about on the podcast in other ways. And I really want to jump to our cheats before we get to our um, our big winners. Okay. So um, I want to talk about Run the Jewels um, just because they came in a time in my life where I wasn't very confident myself. I didn't want to get out of bed and I could listen to their music and they could pump me up. Um, so the deep cut I would just want from that is early because that's actually one of their songs that's a little bit more socially conscious and you know really resonates even today. Uh, but th- most of their music is um, you know what put on there as well, Blockbuster Part One because that is you know a song that I've just loved to listen to to just like pump myself up. So um, yeah, so that's just my run the jewel stuff. I just got to see them concert a couple years ago nothing really big else i want to talk about because they came a little later in the decade um some other people i wanted to just mention because they were just like impactful to me because just like where the albums came at the time in my life i really felt like i needed an album and they were good albums to latch on to um uh 
Tremors by Sone is an album that I always tell people to listen to. The song that I would put for deep cuts of that would be um, Lessons from that album. Um, that's just one that I particularly just love, 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 love. And like always tell people to listen to and people who have listened to it, I always feel like a bond to because it's kind of like um, James Blake, but more singy. I always call it melancholy alternative rock, like, you know, to a degree. Um, and the only reason I found Sone was because of Bombay Bicycle Club. Uh, and I found them just through Pandora and just put a Pandora of them um, up and they, it was weird how a band that was just mostly rock kept like coming up with a lot of bands that were kind of more experimental, but not realizing the Bombay Bicycle Club was really experimental. And the first song I found of theirs before I got really into them on Pandora was actually Shuffle. Um, and Shuffle would help me sleep at night, sometimes in college when I had anxiety. Um, that's something I will talk about a little bit later too. Um, I also want to talk about um, just... Uh, we were promised jetpacks and frightened rabbit. Uh, they came a little bit later um, as a pair, but we were promised jetpacks. I listened through college. Frightened rabbit was introduced to me by Kathleen on the podcast. Legitimately, like people listen to it, um, but they're both Scottish bands and they're both wildly different bands. But we've already talked about the frightened rabbit influence a lot. I haven't talked about the we were promised jetpacks one as much. I just wanted to kind of point them out because they were a fan favorite of mine because like they were my one band that was just screaming and I could scream with them and feel like I could be a part of the scream where like there was a lot of bands but like yeah they're screaming but you like it and then I listened like nah it sucks um <laughs> and then then there was a, a scream band for me and um they actually did a song for an Eagles hype video uh, so that'd be my deep cut uh, from their album that we saw live in person, uh, These Four Walls. Uh, it's Thunder and Lightning. Uh, and when I heard it for an Eagles hype video, and I still tell people who don't give a shit at all um, that, you know, they were on an Eagles hype video. And then Frightened Rabbit, I'm not going to even tell you guys to listen to specific songs. If you haven't listened to that yet, you're a piece of shit. And then I want to talk about who came in second. Because you're going to be surprised, Bobby. Who came in second is actually Frank Ocean. And I'm just going to tell you to put the deep cuts because I know your opinion of Frank Ocean is that he's boring. And I don't think I really need to get into Frank Ocean right now because it's all about unrequited love. And again, that would be for podcast episodes. <laughs> so why don't you just put it on Thinking About You, which is the first song I ever um, learned on piano. Um, that is also my favorite Frank Ocean song. Okay. Could you also put on Lost? Because that was the first Frank Ocean song I felt like I like found on my own that wasn't just everybody like, oh my god, this Frank Ocean song. And then put also put on Pink Matter because it has Andre 3000 and that's just... Pink Matter. Yeah. So the song's called Pink Matter, but he goes through multiple different colors and then Andre 3000 just comes out of nowhere and starts rapping, but it's really great. So those are great um, from his Channel Orange album. I didn't choose anything from uh, Blonde just because I love Blonde as a whole, but it just feels kind of stupid to pick something from the last album as a deep <laughs> cut. Um, so I'm leaving my, my big guy on the list. I want to talk about cheats for a second, though. So what is a cheat? A cheat is something that we discovered this decade but did not occur in this decade. So... Bobby, do you have one offhand, or do you need a little time to think? Uh, I have two. 
Okay, so I'll let you do your first one. I'll do one, and then you can do your second, maybe? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, and before I do that, I, I've been talking about Wagon Wheel, so I feel like I need to get that out of the way. No, are we, are we still doing this? What? We're still doing the Wagon Wheel? I thought that was a bit... Ugh. All right, yes. talk about your Wagon God Wheel. God damn it. Why do you have to be like this? Because I don't like you, but you keep me recording. So that same friend who introduced me to vampire weekend that i hadn't seen in forever introduced me to wagon wheel the and that that came out in 2008 um he introduced it to me thanksgiving weekend uh my first like week like break from college my freshman year and i went back and got obsessed with it and showed all my friends showed it to all my friends and it was i think that was kind of when it was starting to become a thing but Are you that, the only person in your town and like your friends who like find shit and you just spread it to everybody else? Because it sounds like well, you I'm keep like showing it to people and it's like three other dudes see, seeing it, but everybody else well, is just like, "What the fuck?" Well, no, like among my friends at college, I was like the music guy. Okay. Like I, that was a an image that I like cult. Like in high school, I was like, I want to have the best iPod that someone can just what put it on. What was the name of your radio show? I didn't have one. Yeah, terrible name. Why are we doing this now? It's been know. two hours. We don't have to do a bit right now. <laughs> oh, I'm just kind of falling asleep and a little high, so just don't... Okay. Me. Well, so this song ended up becoming very important among me and my best friend and my best girlfriend, uh, Brian and Erin. And spring break my sophomore year, 2011, we would basically come over to my parents' house drink in the basement, watch Zombieland, get really drunk, and then, like, gather around a space heater and, like, listen to Wagon Wheel a bunch of times. How many times did you guys watch Zombieland? A bunch of times. Like, I've probably seen Zombieland, like, 50 times. It's an amazing movie, that's why. It's not that amazing. It's not 50 times. But for that reason, um, more so than its popularity, that, that bonding is why it means a lot to me. Um... But my, my first cheat and both of my cheats are serve the same purpose. If you want to do both of your cheats, just if it serves okay. better, I would yeah. so, appreciate you. So my two that. cheats are um, August and Everything After the Entire Album by Counting Crows and Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. Because in college I was kind of depressed a lot. Um, I was drinking too much i was fucking around in school um i was in love with girls that were never gonna have any interest in me um and it was just tough for me and i'm sure a lot of people have this it's not unusual but it's not unusual to ruin bobby's day but living through it sucks and Especially during the fall, because these are very autumn depression albums. I'll listen to these albums all the time, every day on the way to and from class. And there's Springsteen's is more about um, mid to late 20s, like working class, no college, uh, factory life, stuff like that. But Darkness on the Edge of Town, or I'm sorry, not Darkness on the Edge of Town. Racing in the Streets is specifically about the transition from a, a life of, you know, young, fast-paced fun to 
if you if that's what you've built your life on what is life after you're young look like and august and everything after is um just maybe the perfect autumn like season um seasonal affective disorder album and yeah, I didn't get like laid even a lot either excuse me i didn't get laid a lot either so so like even mr jones as upbeat as it is is like, <laughs> It's not like. Why are you so angry? It's not a fun song. <laughs> We've been doing this for two hours. Why would we start doing bits right now? This just, has been very I serious the entire time. Second, I'm very hungry. I can't wait till we order food at eleven. Oh my fucking god! This is horrible. Why are you doing this right now? So August and everything after is. Both of the August and Everything After is from '94, and Darkest on the Edge of Town is from '78. But again, because that time in college puts an outside stamp on your life, the fact that those uh, albums were such a memorable soundtrack for like my sadness and like feeling of worthlessness and non-worthiness at the time, um, I think that is what makes them my cheat for the most important music of the decade that wasn't from the decade. My cheat is going to piss people off. Um, my cheat is... <laughs> Cut it out! <laughs> Yuck! What the fuck? Yeah, fuck you. That's what you were doing. Okay. I was just singing <laughs> Mr. Jones, which is the song you referenced. I didn't say cut it out. I don't even like Full House. Um... My cheat is in an airplane over the sea. Oh, great. Oh, same. Same thing. Yeah, but like... Put that right in there. Slot it in. Yeah, but I'm just saying it came out in like 99, didn't it? (laughs) Like No. Yeah, it did. thought it came out in 97. Either way, I'm saying it came out in the 90s. 10 years before, so it's not really a cheat. How is that not a cheat? Do you know what year it is? 2019? Yeah, you just said ten years before. What do you think? Ten years before the decade started. Bobby, it was like thirteen years before the decade started, but the ones that I said were like fifteen and forty. Like who cares? Yeah, but I also discovered in the airplane over the sea like two years ago. <laughs> I discovered it because of Parks and Rec. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's not well no, I actually knew of it before Parks and Rec. And thought I knew what it was. That's what's embarrassing is that I thought I knew what Neutral Milk Hotel was and then decided I didn't like it because I attributed the wrong song to an artist. So I never listened to them for years. (laughs) So I found Neutral Milk Hotel in like 2016, 2017 and then found out in in an airplane over the sea is the best album ever about some dude having a weird fever dream while on an acid trip uh, about Anne Frank. Yeah. But also just a great album in general. Amazing album. Yeah. So that's why Cheat, I don't really have any like reason to like talk into it more than it's just a great album that I understand influenced a lot of things that I've come to love. And it's also just unique in its own way. But I didn't find it when I should have found it. I found it. I found it 20 years too late. I didn't find it 10 years too late. I found it 20. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't like I could be wrong a little bit, like give or take two years at worst. I'm not I'm not kidding. It was not 2010 when I listened to it. The trumpet part in O'Comley is absolutely amazing. Oh yeah. So one of 
that and the trumpet part from Casimir Pulaski Day are the two most like hauntingly beautiful, mournful horn parts, in my opinion, that yeah. I've ever heard. And I think that just the last song on the album, just like yes, that's the best song. Yeah, that's my favorite song. Two Headed Boy Part Two. Yeah, it could go anywhere, and just the fact that it just wraps it all up, I love it. The way that is, he's straining against the limits of his voice and losing. Yeah. is so beautiful to me. Yeah, I I love that um through and through, but like I look forward to the end specifically for my favorite song. So yeah. like that's, that's I didn't know that me. I didn't know that was your favorite song on there because that's also mine, which I think is not a popular opinion probably. Yeah, I don't think it is either. So it's it's one of those things for me where it's like they did blow up, but I'm like, why isn't this song the popular song? So put that yeah. on the playlist <laughs> if you have to listen to it. True. Um. All right. So. I think it's time now for the big reveals. Heavy hitters. Yeah, I think everybody knows mine probably at this point, so yours is probably more suspenseful, so you think we should keep people waiting more or just give it to them? Well, I need to talk about mine a little bit. Okay. I, do, I mean, so, I have to talk about mine as well. I, I still have reasons why well, I would still and, pick them regardless of the news I heard today, because I could have quickly said right. Frank Ocean if I wanted to. But I'll, I'll talk about yours too, though, so we can... Yeah, okay. So... In 2013, I think, uh, LaSalle University made it to the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. Great song. And and Ian Cohen, uh, most well-known as a writer for Pitchfork, wrote an article for Grantland about LaSalle. And he said something along the line of Philadelphia's Local basketball scene is great, but highly underrated, much like its local music scene. And he put in a parenthetical, Kurt Vile, Nightlands, War on Drugs, Waxahachie, Fucked Up. And as a huge Philadelphia homer, I didn't know any of these bands. And I was like, oh, fuck, we have a good music scene? Holy shit, I gotta check this out. Yeah, you're like, I love Pearl Jam, but I didn't know about any of these people. So I went... And at the time on my laptop, I had a a program that would record a song as it played on Spotify. So I recorded a couple, downloaded a couple songs from each of the bands by doing that and listened to them and was like, all right, these are fine. And on the way to class one day, as I got into class and was sitting down, Be Good by Waxahachie came on. And I caught basically the very end of it and was like, oh, wait this is great. I need to listen to this again when I go home. So it was an English class uh, about like early 20th century American literature. We were probably talking about uh, a Faulkner book and I walked home and the first song I was like, all right, let's hear the song again. And I played it and I was like, Oh shit, that was great. And I played it again. Oh shit. That was great. And then I played it for two weeks straight without listening to literally anything else. That Be Good by Waxahachie is, if you follow me on Twitter, you'd know by now, is my favorite song of all time. And that got me looking into other bands that associated with her, which led me to Radiator Hospital, uh, which led me to other bands like The Ambulers and Warriors and Amanda X and Cayetana, all of who were at the, sorry, all of whom were at the first like small local Philly show that I went to, which was OK Fest at 
um, the late Golden Tea House. I went with my brother because none of my other friends listened to any of that music. Um, I, as soon as I walked in with my brother, we walked by Katie Crutchfield from Wax Hatchie and her twin sister, and I like freaked out and had to go like buy beer to like deal with it. Uh, that was the first time I heard Cayetana live, and they blew me away. And I've saw them fifteen times until their last uh, ever concert, probably this past summer. And that led me to talking to my friend Mike about the Menzingers, who are the band that I basically think does what the Gaslight Anthem did, except better now. And eventually led me to Beach Slang, um, which is the first concert that I went to with a friend from Twitter. And basically finding Waxahachie is what got me into the local Philly music scene that has led to me becoming really good friends with a lot of other people from Twitter who are a lot of my best friends now. And so I would like to thank Ian Cohen for writing that article about LaSalle. <laughs> but that, and I, I tweeted about this recently because the, the Spotify end of decade thing happened. And the year before my most listened to songs were like, uh, cruise by the Florida Georgia line and like something by the hold up. And then the next Ooh. year it was be good by Waxahachie. And then the next year it was our song by radiator hospital. And ever since then, it's basically been like a local Philly, like punk song. And that more than anything else, that song and Waxahachie as an, as an artist changed my life. And her first album, not unlike, for Emma forever ago there's not as much instruments on it because she's just not the multi-instrumentalist that Justin Vernon is but her that album is after she went through a breakup American American Weekend is the name of the album she went through a breakup her uh, band P.S. Elliot with her sister Allison had broken up and she went home to uh, Alabama and recorded these songs in her bedroom Named herself after a local river, Waxahachie Creek. And it's just stripped down, lo-fi, lowest point of your life type music. And it just really hit me hard. I listened to that album and Cerulean Salt, her second album, on repeat while my all my friends were out at the bar and I was writing an English paper the night that the Boston bombers were located. The Boston Marathon bombers were located. So that was like Great. that was like seven straight hours of just listening to those two albums, which is a really weird thing that I associate with that, but I like cherish it. Cherish those Boston bombers, sure. And cherish nine eleven because Forrest Gump and that roast beef. Exactly. But it's true. Story. You know. I'll tell you later. That, it changed my life. Becoming involved with and very aware of Philadelphia's local music scene is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And if it wasn't for noticing how great the song Be Good is at the end, on the way to an English class, it would never have happened for me. And I don't know where, I don't know who I'd be right now. I don't think, I don't know how different it would be, but I don't think... I would like it as much. And that's why 
Waxhatchee is the most important artist of the decade for me. Yeah, so mine's going to be predictable, and I want to get the dumb thing out of the way first. Mine is Childish Gambino. And I don't think it's a surprise, but we have to address the elephant in the room, and that's why Bobby's going to talk. That's not what I was going to talk about. Okay, but either way... Andrew we don't really Yang. have to even address yeah, it. Yeah, he he talked. He's doing a concert for Andrew Yang because he's a dumbass. Um, but so here's what I said when it was announced that Childish Gambino is doing a concert for Andrew Yang. It's a galaxy brain. It's a self consciously galaxy brain guy doing a event for a for the galaxy brain. Yeah, I don't candidate like yeah, it's whatever. He's the guy that wrote a movie script that was that. His second album was a soundtrack too, like, which I will talk about because I'm a weirdo. I know, but like that's <laughs> that is the kind of move that a guy who likes Andrew Yang would do. Sure. Um. So I, I do want to talk about Charles Gambino though, because it's also a predictable choice for a white male. I get that. Um. He's considered the rapper for the white guys. Um. He's even referenced it sometimes and played with it and also toiled over it. I know that. That um, was earlier in his career, though. Yeah. I think he's gone... I think he had, like, an awakening of blackness, like, before Awaken My Love. Yeah. Or actually, maybe even before his second record. It It's fine either way, because I think he did find himself. I think there was a moment where he was lost, and you have to understand, when I'm talking about Childish Gambino, I'm also talking about Donald Glover, the person I knew first. And Donald Glover is absolutely a role model of mine on every single level because I knew Don Glover first from YouTube videos and the YouTube videos led to a movie they made and he wrote for 30 rock out of college, you know, and then he was on community and was a show that meant a lot to me. And then he did comedy. And at the time I thought that was the funniest stand up, even though now it's not as funny as it used to be, but then Atlanta came out, and I knew he still had it, and he could still do it, and it was still hilarious and beautiful. And then, you know, there was this other side of him, Childish Gambino, and I remember, you know, going to the show after Camp and Royalty was about to drop, and um, Camp, we we were into it, we loved it, but I go back now, and I, I don't really love those songs as much as all the, you know, Although there is a deep cut that I will um, talk about at the end. Um, I'm actually going to have two deep cuts from him. But, um, you know, as I grew and I, I was in college and um, because the internet came out, it was actually my favorite album and it, it was a it was a great comfort to me. And I did order um, the album so I could get the... Or I read the script online, but I ordered the vinyl and I do have the script now. And I remember one night I stayed up and I, I actually read the script and listened to the album with it. It was actually well written. And, you know, I was just a big fan of his because he took, you know, what I thought I was of this just nerdy kid who thought he was creative. And then he just started doing everything because he wanted to. And I was like, I'm, I want to do that. And I, I didn't. And sometimes I get upset at myself because I'm like, he, he got to be Lando Calrissian. Which is dope because I always loved Lando, but I should have been Han Solo next to him if I just got off my fucking ass. Like, that would have been cool, and that movie wouldn't have sucked so bad. 
which I didn't see, but people told me it sucks so bad. Um, but actually, a pretty good movie. Man, yeah, I'll probably watch it and love it because Lando Calrissian is played by Don Glover. Um, but you know, it's just like a thing for me where it was all wrapped in the one, but like because the internet was an experience for me, and there was like a lot of songs in there that like really got me in a deeper way when I wasn't even doing any drugs at the time. Like there was actually a point where I was like completely sober for multiple reasons and like it would still kind of lift me into a different realm i know that sounds stupid and then awaken my love which bless you kitty awaken my love which is not my um favorite album because the internet is awaken my love still i loved it when it came out and i know a lot of people hated it because like this is in josh community raps i'm like well now he's a jazz artist i don't want to tell you um but i just loved it and i remember listening to um me and your mama and that was like the spark for an idea i had that i still want to do it's in it's a writing idea for a comedy show but it just helped me think of the scene that kicked it all off and that's like etched in my brain and every time i hear the song i always think of that um and then now i hear other songs and some of them are just latched on these scenes i write and then the night uh, me and your mama met was just such a beautiful song that's instrumental and the, like if you listen to the vinyl they play like a like solo version of that that's very beautiful but I want to talk just very quickly about my deep cuts because I know we've been recording for very long and we could use some like fries or something very soon but um now uh, we're gonna I need to talk a little bit about Cambino okay so. but I I'm gonna start with my first deep cut and maybe you'll have some to say off the back of this but my first one's going to be heartbeat from camp because that's going way way back and a lot of camp is irredeemable at this point but it was one of the few songs that was like felt like it was different and something new and he was like really talented and just the way that it just kind of like went in and out and it was just like using very different like his sound sounded like it was like over like a loudspeaker and then it was just like beautiful singing and like it was just a really like interesting thing for me to know this guy is like a comedian and then listen to a song that's just like such a different level and a lot of people now call it campy or whatever dumb shit they would call it but I still love that song and I jammed to it recently. I'll let you kind of jump in with whatever you'd like to, to add at this point. Um, so I mentioned earlier when i was talking about hoodie allen that he made some music that i would like listen to at the gym because it was like about how girls didn't like me and now i made it and stuff like that and i feel like childish gambino provided the same inspiration kind of um camp when it came out was super important to me i listened to it a ton but I think that what I was getting out of it, and I think what I was getting out of it was what he was putting into it, and I don't think that that was good. I think it was very misogynistic. I think it was very proving it wrong, proving girls wrong, and now I can fuck them because they're the girls that were wrong. Yeah, and it feels very forced in a lot of ways yeah. now, like, listening back. And I'm, I I think he, for the most part, does not like that album. No, <laughs> like... probably not. <laughs> um, and, actually, the 
American Weekend, Waxahachie never plays songs from that live, basically. I, I've seen Waxahachie four times, and she's never played Be Good live once, even after telling me on Twitter once that she would do it for me. So I totally understand either disavowing things that you did when you were younger or not feeling comfortable sharing it anymore. But I feel as though I've grown with him because of that. The fact that that was important to me when I was younger will never change. And the fact that that's the music that he made when he was younger will also ne- will also never change. But he ended up finding himself or starting to find himself before because the internet came out and is a much different person now. The, th- the art that he creates is much different than Troy from Community and Camp. Um, Atlanta and... Awaken My Love are both miles and miles and miles better and um, just more intricate than the stuff that he was making back in 2010, 2011, both as an actor and as an artist. And, you know, part of what we're doing right now is going through the stuff that meant a lot to us this decade. I'm not going to disavow the fact that this stuff meant a lot to me that semester that I was home from school because I sucked at school and was fucking around and I didn't have anything to do because it did mean a lot to me. And in a way, in some way, it probably shaped me and turned me into the person that I am now. But the fact that he reconnected probably, in my view, with his um, blackness And the fact that I have become less of the misogynistic, like, fuck-around, dipshit dickhead that I was back then in the last decade, like, it seeing that parallel growth kind of means something to me. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was a thing for me when, you know it was me and my friends that was the rapper we were all listening to like and showing each other like oh man like listening to songs off poindexter but then listening to camp and i remember going to the camp concert and being so excited that he did some royalty which like i actually even realized royalty i think that's the start yeah yeah royalty actually starts being way like royalty i hated at first but it was way better than camp yeah he worked with schoolboy he worked with nipsey he worked with daniel hyam on a couple songs and th- there's still going to be one album particular I'm going to talk about, but there's also the other things we didn't even touch on, like Kawhi, which is um, the album he released where all, if you bought it, and I actually did buy it, it was a beautiful album to me. If you bought it, proceeds went to the island of Kauai, which was dealing with a, um, I believe, an earthquake at the time, but it could have been a hurricane just as well. But either way, re- regardless of whatever tragedy, you know, I'm misremembering, like it was still for a good cause. And I remember, like, the song that was on there that people remember is Sober, which is an amazing song, but that's not, like, you could add that to the playlist, but that's not even, like, my deep cut, but, like, there's a lot of great songs on there, and it's on Spotify now, so I definitely tell people to listen to Kawhi, because they might have missed it. But then also he did, you know, This Is America, which is very spot on, which, just saying, This Is America, like, literally, and, like, the whole video is it, it's a show itself and it's it's controversial and stuff. But I thought it was just even a good song. And he did play at the concert I went to some of his new stuff that has not come out yet. 
And what I heard was very, very good, and I'm very excited, even if he does actually retire Childish Gambino. And even to me, like, I think, you know, end of the decade, like, maybe it's time. You know, like, maybe we all or just maybe start on. going, like, Childish Gambino started as an on an online Wu-Tang Clan, like, name yeah. generator. Like, in probably 2006 or 2007. How, when was the last time you used something like that? Yeah, like, I haven't used anything jokey like that since, like, BuzzFeed yeah. was still thriving, you know, like, and, you know, even he, like, you know, released the, the two songs, um, you know, the two songs during the summer, and, like, I remember I liked the one that was, like, a little less popular, but then the other one had the music video, and it was just showing, like, all the rappers that kind of, like, came and gone and kind of showed, like, you know, everybody kind of in their natural element, but it was very still kind of poignant and still kind of felt like something when he like when that music video came out. And it just I always really appreciated how he always thought about like a little bit more. And when I think about because the internet and that album, I I really do love that he put out teaser videos and there's a script and I know it's really self involved and it's fucking stupid, but like if you love something and you can yeah, get more of it, you just want to You know what else is super self involved? Lemonade by yeah. Beyonce. It's insanely self, and so is the self-titled. It's yeah, it's an unannounced album that has a music video for everything. And that you is, know what? It, that's insanely self-involved. And you know what? And that's good because she's awesome. Infinite Jess is my favorite book. It's the most self-involved fucking book. And of I all actually time. forgot to put uh, or say Beyonce, but she absolutely is on my decade list as well. Like I actually, yeah. one of my favorite albums in my top ten is the self-titled Beyonce album. I love it. I yeah. absolutely fucking love it. I love all the songs. I don't even want to pick a deep cut from it, but I will pick my lemonade deep cut after lemonade. The Beyonce self-titled, uh, the Monitor, by Titus Andronicus. These are all insanely self-involved and self-indulgent, and they're fucking great because the people making them are fucking great. Yeah, the fact that something is self-indulgent and self-involved in itself is not a criticism. Yeah. Only if it's bad and they didn't deserve to have done it is it a, is it a criticism? Yeah, just flip a coin and draw their fun father John Misty and then you like decide do I listen to this album or not? And then you yeah. just go from there. Um no, but I want to talk about my ultimate deep cut from Because of the Internet. It's not a song I think a lot of people would consider a song they go to a lot. It's Flight of the Navigator. And along with this song i talked about some of the other songs and some of them i didn't i listened to shuffle i listened to um power trip by j cole um but those were songs i listened just on repeat and flight of the navigator was one of those songs because it was one of the few songs that actually helped me calm my anxiety especially during college when it was really spiking very high and there were many nights where I would just put flight of the navigator on repeat for like three times and knew that's how I was going to fall asleep that night and it's a very beautiful song. I, I really encourage you to listen to it. And I think if you listen to Flight of the Navigator, you kind of see the roots of Awaken My Love kind of already blossoming. And then you see, you know, he's not just trying to make a song. He's trying to, like, do something. And that song in particular, it's, I think, a little over five minutes, like maybe like five and a half. But when you really listen to it, it feels like a really long song, but in the best way just of the way that it totally engrosses you. And I think that was the thing for me with like a lot of the songs I talked about today was like just the decade itself, like 
song started totally engrossing me. Like I really started to feel it that I was like listening to the songs that I was listening to. So I was like, not just, you know, listening to Flight of the Navigator. That was my, you know, like code to sleep. It was my Flight of the Navigator. And I know that song has deeper meaning and I know it has deeper meaning to him, but it meant so much to me that something I could just put on just calmed me down in a time when nothing calmed me down. And I fell asleep and I needed sleep and it was, I slept more than anybody my junior year. And I remember listening to Flight of the Navigator on repeat. I slept more because I had an internship and I told them I was coming in at 10, which is probably the dumbest thing you can do in an internship, but they were like, okay. <laughs> so they let me sleep in a little bit. They sometimes they told me to come in the office just at eleven, just be on time for game day. So I'd be like, "All right, I'm sleeping in." So I'd get like nine hours of sleep a day, but it was only because I was able to fall asleep by having a rhythm of I would go to work, I'd come home, I'd work out if I could, I'd eat a meal, and I would you know do my homework. And I took college very seriously because I kind of got OCD about it. And my roommates didn't take it seriously. They, I talked about them in past podcasts. You know, they joked about you know taking shrooms in our place, and I freaked out because I, I just didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But I, it, there was no, you know, vision in my head where it was going to be good for me and wouldn't end everything I started. So I mostly just latched on to this album because. Everything about it felt like I was discovering something new. And when I was shutting myself down, it was something I could turn to. And it really comforted me. So it, it lasted through multiple years. And now I have it on vinyl. And I can listen to it on vinyl and read the script. And then I awaken my love. And I don't really care about camp anymore. The way Bobby says, you know, I'm not going to validate it. I won't. But I don't need camp anymore because he gave me so much that I stopped believing in myself and then he taught me how to believe in myself again in a lot of ways just by being a talent that was transcending of genre or you know what he could do it wasn't like the old days when it's like oh he's a triple threat and it's like they kind of suck at all the things they do it's like he legitimately was like if I'm gonna start doing this shit it's gonna be the best shit you've ever seen and he made Atlanta, and it might not ever be a thing again. And I can still say it's one of the best TV shows I've ever seen after two seasons. Maybe the best episode of Atlanta he's not in. Yeah. Like, are you talking about the, the news one? No. Yeah, uh, it's a different one. So we're not even talking about... No, the one where Darius goes to, like, the Michael Jackson house. Yeah, that's a really fucking weird one. But I was talking about the one where... Um, uh, Oh yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. mailman goes the like the the black like paper version. Yeah, paperboy. He goes like mailman. Yeah, but they call him mailman at one point. I think. Uh, but like paperboy goes to uh, like the the black the version. BLN. Yeah, like the, the black version of like what would be like Fox News, and they have like instead of doing transgender, which like it was probably somewhat problematic, but it's like something being trans color, but it was yeah. the black guy who wanted to be a middle aged white man. But then they have the that guy say like, yeah. "Yo, these people are trying to change their gender. What the fuck? That's so yeah." Fun. And it's like at the end, you're like, "Oh fuck, man! It's still so poignant how stupid everybody is." Show's amazing. And 
Paperboy's just there, just like, y'all fucking stupid as hell. And then the white lady was like, uh, so like staunchly against it, was like, nah, I'm on his side even. Like, what the hell are y'all doing? And you're like, no, no, we're the, the news network. Like, you can't do that. He's like, nah, y'all just like saying stupid shit and starting propaganda. Like, stop that. Like, all it's right. like I'm telling you the realness. Like when I rap, I'm rapping about my life. Like if you don't, if you think it's violent, that's just how I live, and that's how like my community is. Like, sorry, yeah. I, I'm being real. It's like nothing in this news network is real. Like Atlanta's incredible. Yeah. So Cody, what yeah. is your top song of 2019? Before we go, ooh, top song of 2019. Um, I was for a long time gonna say Stranger by uh vampire weekend and i'm still very inclined to stick to that all right but there's another song in my head but i feel like i'm being biased so i'm gonna stick with stranger all right mine is um one sick plan by oso oso which is one of uh oso oso's album from this year is one of my favorites and that one is basically it sounds like a demo i didn't like it at first and then the more i listened to it the more i thought uh the melodies and everything was amazing and also his album sort of has a running theme of like asking his lovers like perfect point of view and like trying to see things from another point of view in a way that emo um is generally male-centric and commodifies women a little bit um in a different way than rap is accused of doing uh but in a still very harmful way so uh that is my favorite song of the year yeah so um i did want to just i i think at this point you know we're ready to wrap things up and move on to plugs. So I think what I'm going to do for my plugs right now is just, I'm going to plug like a few songs that I like that I found really like recently this year. So I couldn't really say were songs of my like decade, but I'm just fans of, so I'm just going to like rifle off some, um, clean up by junior junior is a fun song. Um, uh, one of my favorite songs is by this guy. It's called like drowned V three by Drays or something like that but it's just like an amazing like you know what i was talking about earlier when i say i like rappers that just come out like hitting it's one that switch up i know i played it for you um and a lot of songs by king cruel are very good but i just haven't known him as long um the local natives have meant a lot to me lately um starting to really get into them um but i forgot to talk about parquet courts Listen to park- about, we don't have time to talk about listen to, par- listen to Parquet Courts. Listen to Parquet Courts. <laughs> don't talk about them. He's going to put songs to Parquet Courts. And Anderson Pack. I think Anderson Pack actually has a good, had good impact on my decade, but I'm still excited to see what he becomes. So I don't want to say like he's like done that yet, where a lot of these artists I talked about, I feel like I still got the full spectrum of what I've expected from them. So. Right. Um, Bobby, what did you like to plug? Anything at all? You didn't plug much. Uh, I'm just going to plug Waxahachie, Cayetana, The Menzingers, Parquet Courts. Yeah. He's just going to plug himself <laughs> up. Anyway, uh, so Neurotic has been recording for too long, so we're going to stop doing that now and maybe order food um, or just decide to die. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, if you're li- listening this long, you must really like music or hate yourself. I don't know which. Thanks for listening to Neurotica. Bye. Bye.